one of the specific reasons is how strong the rental market's been at the beginning of this year. This has been the the best rental market that I have experienced in my 11 or so years in, in doing this. Um, so really significant rent growth and then all the macroeconomic trends that um, lend well to buying real estate. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. All right, welcome back to the Rise and Invest podcast. Here today with Joe Smazel, top multifamily investment sales broker in Chicago. Thanks for having me back, man. Yeah, I know Joe, he's uh, guest number one. So he did a great job, obviously, since he's back. Well, we that was both of our first podcasts, so we've got nothing to blame it on today, I guess, yeah. if it doesn't go well. But uh, good to be back, man. Thanks. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think today, like uh, probably six months or so since we recorded that so want to do like a chicago market update actually a lot's happened yeah. uh in chicago and then kind of i had like a bunch of brokerage related questions that i was going to ask you and then we already filled up like 90 minutes so we had to <laughs> had to cut it so all right we'll, we'll do those when i ramble stop me then yeah well we uh no i think people like the you know the long form sort of answers here and two i think before we get started uh maybe with the questions i just um want to mention our website where we have we mentioned this in the the outro of the podcast but um haven't really mentioned it much at the beginning we have a, a ton of written resources on our website we have our portfolio so every deal we've done listed on there with you know two or three paragraphs about it so essentially like a brief case study we have a blog uh, we wrote a trends report for real estate trends um this is probably you know, we're going to need to add a whole interest rate section to the <laughs> yeah. to the trends report now. That's the number one topic today. Also on there, probably most importantly, we have a hundred plus page passive investing guidebook. Really, the goal of that is, you know, could teach someone who doesn't know really anything about real estate yet, kind of what what the terms mean, what to look for in the sponsor. Uh, really covers a lot. Obviously, if it's a hundred plus pages, uh, it's like a hundred and one pages. So we just got to the <laughs> Got to the hundred, but um, and to like a lot of the jargon we would use here on the podcast, like if we don't explain it, that would be uh, that would be in the guidebook. There's a glossary, so that would be where to go. Uh, the, our website is riseinvest.com, and then two, you can sign up to be an investor uh, in our deals there on the website. There's a orange button in the upper right. Can't miss it. Really, it says invest now. You just put in a little bit of information, just basically your name address email i think and then uh you're on our list uh from there um you know and there's not always a deal available so you're really just signing up to be on the list when deals come out and then obviously happy to chat with anybody who wants uh wants best place to get started though is through that investor uh sign up link cool so now that that's good stuff man. yeah yeah that's awesome that's out of the way um yeah so i guess just kind of maybe on on you i know you let's for a quick intro from iowa <laughs> then uh, here in Chicago, got into multifamily brokerage, yep. about 500 million total sold. That was six months ago. Yeah, so now so we're probably six months of this year. Knock on wood, today we've got we've got a good sized deal closing, but it should be about 100 million sold in the first um, first six months of this year. So 
update the yeah okay. update the bio and yeah my, <laughs> yeah i feel like it's sounds an instagram page or yeah. whatever i feel like it sounds better when it's more of a round number though where yeah. like if it's 500 plus where if you update it to 602 million like then it's like a <laughs> yeah it's like too exact like a running ticker yeah. <laughs> yeah but nice yeah that i know i was thinking about that when i was uh putting some notes down i was like it's gonna be almost it's, it's probably i'm sure it still feels hard but it's almost to be hard to not be selling a hundred million a year with kind of the momentum you got. Yeah. I mean, so. the, maybe we start there, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the beginning, uh, where I, maybe we should start by putting kind of a timestamp in case, uh, we're in a pretty dynamic market. So in case things change, um, but we're in early June, 2022, um, the beginning of 2022 in the Chicago multifamily market has been really healthy, really strong. Um, and also very balanced. You know, I feel like there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of compelling reasons to buy real estate generally, and then also specifically in Chicago. Um, one of the specific reasons is how strong the rental market's been at the beginning of this year. This has been the the best rental market that I have experienced in my eleven or so years in in doing this. Um, so really significant rent growth and then all the macroeconomic trends that um, lend well to buying real estate. It's also been a good time to sell too. Um, so it's ended <laughs> up being quite balanced from a buyer and seller standpoint. You know, I think in the residential world, a lot of people classify a market as a buyer's market or a seller's market. Um, I think it's a little bit too nuanced in what I do to, to say that generally, but Anyway, it's been a healthy market for um, for parties on both sides of the table. So it's ended up translating into a lot of people trading, you know, selling something that's a little bit of an outlier for them um, and exchanging it into something that's more, you know, they've either got a fresh business plan for or it's more in their geographic focus or it's a little bit bigger, you know, whatever the rationale is for doing it. Um, really strong start to the year for those reasons. Um, the market is still quite healthy and um and robust. I mean, there's a lot of activity, but I would say in my experience, again, in Chicago, the top end of the market in the, and like the, maybe the, the lower end of the market, um, have been a little bit softer, a little bit slower. Hasn't really changed, translated to change in pricing yet. Um, if it stays slower and get will, but. And you mean it, top end for. So on something that's, I'm sorry to cut you off, okay. but I think I know where you're going with the question. So if something is, um, say new construction or recently rehabbed and the rent roll is basically today's rents without it really anywhere to push it. You know, that's, that's been a little bit tougher because that market is very impacted by the cost of borrowing, you know, and there's nothing to really do to those type of properties to offset a higher interest rate. So the spread just gets tighter and we might still be able to sell it for the same price because of buyer timing and circumstances or because of the desirability of the real estate. But I would say, generally speaking, a little bit slower. And then, um, you know, the product it may be in tougher areas of the city where, um, you know, people were buying with like agency small balance loans and you know, max leverage, low interest rates, non-recourse, buying purely on kind of today's cash flow. You know, those deals are obviously also really directly impacted by your cost of borrowing. The middle of the market, good size building, good location, palatable price per unit. That stuff has been unimpacted, is as strong as ever. Okay, nice. Yeah, and yeah, what have you then for for rent growth? Then what have you what have you been seeing? Would you say 
I'll start by saying I think the the average that I'm seeing it depends on the submarket, um, but I'm saying the average is probably seven to eight percent rent growth over, year over year. Yeah, over last year. Yeah, okay. over last year, and last year was probably a normal. As, so if you go 2019 to 2020, we saw rents go down. 2020 to 2021, rental market kind of stabilized to where it was in, in 2019. Again, speaking generally, there are nuances to this and the submarket and the product type. So this I would call just straight over a you know season regular rental market healthy seven to eight percent net effective rents concessions basically fully burned off um there are markets where it's a lot higher than that i think the markets where it's higher um you're working off kind of a depressed 2021 rent roll still maybe a market like new construction stuff in logan square i think if you look year over year 2020 excuse me, 2022 to 2021, the rent growth would look crazy, but it was, it was hit a little bit harder. Um, and then there are markets that are just more sensitive to rent growth. So I'd say, you know, there's probably markets where you see four or 5% still. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I would say on the Chicago stuff I have, which is still pretty big sample size, like I, you know, let's call it 20, 16 to 2020, I didn't really see much rent growth. You know, I had the bigger units, you know, two bed, two baths, three bed, two bath kind of units. Yeah. Didn't see as much, didn't really see much rent growth there. Um, The deals did fine because we bought it knowing the rents should be higher, but then we sort of got it to that higher rent and then the market didn't really move much on those. Then yeah, 2020, then they dropped. 2021, we didn't, I don't feel like we got back to the 2019 rents yet, Hmm. but then this year, I remember starting the year, we're making our sort of renewal numbers and yeah. what we would put it on the market for. And I was thinking, okay, let's try for five per three to three percent maybe on a renewal and try to get back to the old like highest rent. We actually ran a calc where every unit going back when we had the info, what was the highest rent we ever got? And then that we'll try for that rent this year. Okay. So you use like the high watermark from that immediate sample size of Rent roll. Yeah. yeah, where actually by every by on that exact unit, okay, uh, uh, type. Let's say if there were eight of the same unit, we would see what was the highest rent ever paid on those eight. Got it. So that's what we were gonna go out with this year, and we just blew through that though. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we were starting thinking, okay, let's we're gonna be talking about inflation and try to for once get these uh, like get a pretty big renewals. Where norm, normally I'd say our renewal strategy is try to not have a lot of churn. Yeah. You know, keep your turnover costs low. Um, our buildings, we don't have any people on site. So then leasing, we're hiring that out. Then that's big cost if you're mm-hmm. going to hire out leasing mm-hmm. uh, on a turn. Because then it gets beyond, like, probably normally I think people would assume, like, a apartment turnover costs, like, a month, let's say, between the yeah. a couple weeks of downtime paint maybe. And yeah. Paint and clean could be a month. But here it's in Chicago, it's more if yeah. you have a broker because a, a lot of times a broker is looking for a one-month commission. Yeah. So then... Um, yeah, we so we started out going for these max rents. So like for a real example, like our Wicker Park two bed or three bed, two bath condo quality units. I have 30, 20, I think 40 of those so like between the Pierce 1449 Wicker Park and the Evergreen deal, like 40 of the base real similar units And the highest. I think we were you going to say something. I was going to say it's a big percentage of the rental stock for that. I mean, that's a low density submarket. Yeah. And there's not a lot of newer construction stuff of that size. So 40 units is not, uh, you know, people look at it and say it's not a huge sample size. But in the context of Wicker Park, large yeah. units, condo quality, that's 
that's a lot of what's out there. Yeah. 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 For that profile deal, I feel like, and in that like pocket, I think I bought all the deals. Yeah. I don't where know, the basics been <laughs> three for sale in the last 10 years and I bought them all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is, uh, and the reason that happened, we were crushing it with those where they were renting for like 25, 2600 bucks and the rent should have been 3000 at the time. So we raised it and then the market grew to 3300 on those. And then, um, a couple units we beat that we got 3400 a couple times 3500 once so then this year on that unit where we basically leveled off at 3300 we're getting 3650 now so yeah you know all of a sudden like hey and i and that's a lot of reasons for that you know people coming back out into the rental market that were sort of you know wherever hiding or doubling up you know not uh and also these are bigger units. So if you're looking, you are like potential renter pool opened up a lot where now if you're going to still need to work from home, maybe that extra bedroom or two extra bedrooms as an office, that's what you wanted where before you wouldn't pay for that. Now you need it if you're going to be working there. Yeah. It's a pretty sticky product type because people are going to settle into that unit. They're going to use it as an office or put their Peloton in there or whatever. And you're not jumping around to three, but another three bed, two bath. Because like we just talked yeah. about, there aren't that many of them out there. So somebody might buy a house, somebody might move out of state for a job transfer, whatever, get married, have kids, you know, whatever yeah. the reasons are that are healthy, but it's generally not like a musical chairs type rental market for that type of stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's usually, usually a reason, uh, but and real commonly our renters were just like three roommates, you know, mm -hmm. so each person taking a room and then that was not, not as sticky of a renter, but we're seeing a much more sticky one, like you were saying, where it's yeah. uh, people who are gonna gonna be there what would you say then just kind of like generically our cap rates today in the areas you're covering and actually i should uh i'll define a cap rate so we actually um this is for and, mr brenneman yeah so <laughs> shout out to doug brenneman i think my dad he watched the one of the uh the podcast um i think it may be his first one recently and we were kept Did throwing watch up. ours first of all. I, I don't know. He yeah, watched right, the one well, on the uh, 96 unit that we bought. <laughs> okay. And he, he said that, yeah, like really a lot goes into these things, you know, where um, you can see why you have the staff and uh, yeah. like what's what's all involved. Anyway, so cap rate, really what that is then. So this is I took the definition out of our passive investing guidebook and just uh, like it's just that's what's up on my screen here. So the cap rate, that's the yield of prospective buyer expects a property to generate in terms of its net operating income relative to the purchase price. This metric is depicted as a percentage. A higher cap rate is usually indicative of a riskier property. The investor requires a greater yield and thus willing to pay less for the property. While a lower cap rate represents a less risky property, you know, or potentially more, more growth in the future because they pay a bigger number for that. So just like as an example, if um, the net operating income was $100,000, and you paid two million for the property, a hundred thousand divided by two million is five percent. So then, if I'm talking to Joe, I'd say I bought a five cap or a five point cap. Um, also, some people they think of this as like the yield you would have if you bought a property all cash. Yeah. So if you did that in that example, and you, you have no loan, and you just you paid two million for it, and you make a hundred thousand a year of income off of it, that's a five percent return. Yeah. So that's that's what we're talking about. So then the importance is as the cap rates go down, that means the properties are appreciating in value. But also, if you were to buy one today, at least in the day one return would be lower. Whereas if cap rates go up, that would mean that the prices were moving down and then you would be making more uh, day one. 
So, anyways, now with that out of the way, um, so we're cap rates in Chicago. Yeah, where would where would you say they are? I'm gonna preface my cap rate answer with, yeah, I think it's tough to talk cap rates in apartments. I mean, we do, and and you have to make apples to apples before you do. You know, so a lot of it'll vary from who's underwriting the deal and if there's upside in the deal versus if it's fully stabilized. So. I'd say assuming a property is underwritten consistently with the rest of the marketplace, we've seen cap rates in Chicago in the five range um, from about five, you know, some deals compress lower to five if it's a prime submarket, large property, you know, there's scarcity in inventory, then it'll end up compressing the cap rates. Um, down in the four range, you know, probably nothing lower than four unless it's a deal that's egregiously mismanaged or super low rents or a total value add deal where somebody's going to renovate it, in which case the cap rates kind of mute right. or moot to, you know, maybe around six. And then if you're in kind of a fringier, tougher submarket, um, you know, they go higher than that pretty significantly. Um, I don't do as much business in those submarkets, so I'm probably not the guy to opine with like much substance yeah. on those. But in the <clears throat> markets that I work, which are generally kind of the north side of the city, um, and then in, in and around Hyde Park, um, they're in the five range, you know, depending on the asset. So, and this is a stabilized cap rate. So call it like a 5.0 to five and a half, would you say, or yeah. Um, some stuff in the higher fives, maybe if it's, um, got a commercial component to it or something like that, in which case we'll usually look at a blended cap rate because the market for street level retail was softer over the course of the last couple of years. There's more risk in it. Generally, somebody expect a higher return for that type of deal unless it's a Starbucks or Foxtrot or something right. really cool. And then how do you, I guess too, one thing to mention uh, with the whole cap rate talking, that's the first thing you had said was really you have to, as a buyer understand how the other buyers would underwrite something yeah where maybe you can run a deal cheaper than the next person once you have it but really that probably shouldn't that shouldn't factor in and how you value it right so when you're talking about consistently underwriting it really what you would want to do is figure out how are how's the market assuming property taxes should be underwritten what is not what you know utilities and insurance typically those you're just kind of known for the building but that meaning that you can get a financial statement from the seller yeah. and get that info. But then the other stuff like repairs, turnover, leasing, management fee, cap, yeah, replacement reserves, taxes. You you kind of you need to figure out what the other people are doing. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the deals that we underwrite have between thirty to forty five percent expense load of effective gross income. So that's income less a vacancy factor, and half of that or so is very operator specific utilities taxes yeah. insurance those things are fairly fixed you know you can improve them but within a pretty tight margin things like staffing leasing your how you handle repairs how you handle turnover um those are really operator dependent so i think it's a i think it's great advice to have your model and understand how you operate but then understand how the market underwrites too so that when you're looking at deals you can do a really quick look and understand whether it fits within the realm of reality based on market underwriting. And then if it does, you dig in, you say, oh, I think I can do this better. I think I'm gonna run this heavier. Well, so it's funny to me when somebody, yeah, I, I shouldn't say it's funny. I like getting feedback on my underwriting versus a prospective buyers because that's constructive. And I need to stay very in tune with that because I need to make sure that mine is realistic and is, um, 
I guess, saleable into the marketplace. You know, I want to present deals in, I'd say the best light possible, but within a, a degree of being realistic, you know, mm -hmm. I want people to see it and it's going to be underwritten similarly to how most people will or how the lender will. Anyway, um, when somebody gives me feedback, I like to hear that, but you know, if somebody says, you're wrong, you know, staffing this property is going to cost this. It's like, okay, to you. Yes. I mean, I'm not a smart ass about yeah, it, but it's like, but to each their own, you know, and then the next person comes and says, I don't need any additional staffing for this deal. I've, I own the building next door. Right. I run these together, you know, and I don't, I don't underwrite assuming that the buyer owns the building next door. But it's somewhere to, in between, kind right? Of, that's right. You don't so, want to be the one presenting the uh, like highest expenses, where then buyers are going, "Oh, maybe I should be doing more for uh, yeah, payroll and repairs." This. Yeah, so it's about being within kind of the middle of the curve, I'd say. And I understand if there are any buyers listening. <laughs> I understand that you're going to flex based on your operation, but I can sell a two cap if somebody can turn it into a six cap, right? Right. You know, so like sometimes these cap rates get quoted and, you know, I, I think on some of the deals that you bought in Phoenix, you look That's at a really compressed cap rate and somebody's like, how, how are you making sense of a three cap, Drew? Yeah. What are you doing, man? Like the interest rate is four now. How are you doing? But right. you have a business plan. Right. <laughs> you understand the submarket. You understand rent growth. I mean, there's there's a lot more to it than the quoted cap rate. So that's my that's my yeah, cap you're, rate you're right. soapbox rant. Because <laughs> the people that are doing this all day, really, what they're looking at is the this is some jargon here, so I'll define it. But really, like a day one untrended market cap rate, meaning if I could just snap my fingers and reset all the rents and expenses at the building to what they should be based on what I'm seeing. Uh, and untrended means with no growth. So obviously yeah. you can't snap your fingers and change the rents. People have leases and there's contracts in place at buildings. Um, but if you could like that, that's actually how I would generally look at the deal. And right in Phoenix, often with how much rent growth they've had. So, you know, two years in a row of 20 plus percent rent growth. We've we bought deals where the owners, they didn't really do much during that time. Maybe they have now a two bed unit renting for like eleven hundred dollars. Hmm. We go there and go, this should rent for fourteen fifty. And if we add laundry and clean it up, we can get sixteen fifty, seventeen hundred. Yeah. So right, what's our cap rate on that? The day one going in, yeah, it might be a two point nine or a three or something, but the untrended day one if you could snap your fingers, have the renovation done, it's a five something. So then the whole thesis is we can kind of get that to like a Chicago or Midwest cap rate. Uh, with for all the work we're doing and then our payoff is we have the growth and um you know all the they're real favorable in phoenix with the property tax treatment and, oh, yeah. and uh, maricopa county and i think all arizona but that's that's sort of this the same point so then you you know you could see a headline where someone in chicago pays a three cap and you're like what are they doing but it's like well they're gonna renovate it and then it'll be a six and a half cap and right. then they're gonna sell it for a five and a half and that's how you make money. Yeah. And we're not selling net lease deals. You know, we're not, we're selling, I couldn't think of a, I cannot think of an example in the last several years where somebody bought a property based on the cap rate in air quotes. I'm not going to do the air quotes, <laughs> but a cap rate today, you know, people buy these generally for a longer time horizon than that, even if it's to execute a business plan in three years and exit or refinance, it's not one year. You know, the marketplace just doesn't allow for that generally. Right. So, um, you know, the, the cap rate today is an indication. It's a snapshot. It's a way to look at deals quickly, but it's not um, the end all be all metric to the extent that I believe it's discussed.
Yeah, no, you're you're right, and that's yeah. why the people who like on the let's say back end, like down the chain, like if I'm talking to like a single investor who knows all the real estate jargon and has a bunch of deals like yeah. that, we'll talk about. It's more like what's your, you know, like untrended. If you could reset the whole thing, cap rate. What's your going to be all in basis? Yeah, right. That? Yeah, that's um, that makes sense. But again, you need to know how people are underwriting deals and where cap rates are today, because then it, even if you could. In that made up example, I was saying the deal you bought at a four cap and raised the income. Now it's a six and a half cap. You need to know what's going on when you go sell it because you're not going to sell it for a four cap anymore. That worked for you because you um, you had this whole business plan to raise the income a lot. So you need to be talking to brokers and folks and know what's going on. So, yeah, and it's, you know, they're, it's easy to do. You know, these are not super complex models generally to, to arrive at a cap rate. I mean, right. if you're looking at an IRR or something, it, you know, it's a little bit more of like you're running an Argus, you're running a 10 year horizon. Like for just a quick look, you have right. your model and you understand the market's model. And then you see how the things compare and then you make nuances and adjustments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. And then even like on the pro formas, like really we would have like a, at least for Chicago, I'd say some of the, like, we would have like two different pro formas, basically almost like here's how people value it. And here's how we think it will run. Cause there'll be a little bit of nuance. Like yeah. you're, you're maybe increasing your taxes to value it, but they don't increase immediately, whatever increase you're baking in. So you might have a year or two or three or, I mean, there's deals where we've had them for a long time. We're still waiting for that increase. And we just got you know, lucky and missed a couple times on these uh, every three year reassessments. Yeah. And there's, I mean, the reality is there's, you know, when you're running a forecast or a pro forma, there's stuff that's out of your control. Right. You know, so you have to allow for a margin of error <laughs> because you don't know exactly what's going to happen with utilities taxes. I mean, you do more mm -hmm. than in, in Cook County and in Phoenix, you know, on taxes, but or rents or, you know, economic drivers. Right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's, it's just not a, it's an art more than it is a science, right? And the scientific part of it is subject to some flex. So you have to be confident enough that you've left some buffer in your assumptions. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then on the whole two pro forma thing where like the reason we were doing that is our uh, depending like on a lot of the deals we were maybe leasing it for cheaper. We were doing it just all sort of internally. So then we were maybe coming in below what maybe the market would assume for leasing fees and but then we were higher on repairs. Yeah. You know, so we just we just made the actual adjustments so we could go, here's how we're running the other or even like when I bought the Pierce deal that's a 16 unit, I had an exact carbon copy basically, 16 unit like that as well as an 8 unit that was real similar. So we just saw how we were running those and then said, "Here we go." And we had noticed on one of them the water bill was way out of control, I think on one of the Pierce buildings, but that was obvious to see cuz I had uh, essentially already buildings like that. And we go, well, we're spending 7,000 a year on the 16 unit for water. This one of the buildings for eight, it has eight units. Cause these are all side. These are two side by side, eight units. One of the buildings was like 7,000 for water. So we yeah, fixed I mean, the problem. That's why a lot of people like to buy what they know. Yeah. Because it takes a lot of risk out of it. If you know how it's going to operate and depending on your management structure in general, uh, it can create efficiencies too. So if you own, eight of one type of units versus 80 of you know yeah. 80 of them there's efficiencies in that scale so a lot of people end up expanding a portfolio with fairly similar properties in fairly similar submarkets, um at least in chicagoland yeah and then you reach a point and you're like all right well now we need, let's start to think about diversity a little bit so then you go to phoenix and you yeah. leave your buddies in <laughs> chicago 
Yeah. <laughs> Download our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook today at riseinvest.com slash downloads. Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. Now back to the show. So, um, anyway, kidding. no, I know. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, I was, yeah, joking the other day. The only place I go is basically to the gym and to the airport and back. Like these days, it's get, uh, need to buy some Chicago deals. So yeah. You can, that's right. You can, uh, you do get out of the building here. So, yeah, I think the Chicago opportunity is going to be good. Uh, basically starting now and this, this winter, especially because the, uh, you can basically apply the same way we've done these Phoenix deals to Chicago now where you, let's say let's say we were going to sell these buildings that I was talking about where now on some of the units we realized we could get 3650. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's only that's only on a handful of the units. I was renewing people at 3200, 3250, mm-hmm. renting them out for 3300 initially going, "Wow, that rented fast. I'll try for 3400." Yeah. And we got it. And now a buyer could go in that and if if nothing changes and we still think the rent will be 3650 or more and go, well, next summer I should get that whole building to 3650, maybe a little more. And then that's going to be a huge jump. And then they can, that's going to be a great deal for them. If you can just walk in and raise the rents, you know, 10% in the first year. Yeah. The needle moves pretty quickly at a five cap or compressed cap rate, um, you know, Phoenix too. So yeah, I think that there's, it doesn't feel like the marketplace in general thinks there's going to be, similar growth next year but i think some level of growth is fair to assume given the inflationary environment that we're in and kind of just the wind at our backs right now in the rental market in general it feels like we're um feels like we're more on the way up yeah. than the way down i guess um but and- but if you were gonna on a deal and you put 20 percent down let's say and you can raise the uh the net income 10%. I mean, you make the building worth 10% more. Yep. Uh, so now that's a 50% return on your down payment in a year. Like that's a good profit you're walking into so that you don't even really need big rent growth the next year. You just need to know what the market rents should have been. If I was selling that deal, it would be a perfect one to go, okay, well, I already have the comp. It's these two units at 3650. Yeah. I think that you, as a buyer, buyer, uh, you know, some buyer advice is looking for the proof of concept, whether yeah. it's in your own portfolio or whether it's in the subject property. You know, don't don't get too lost in the weeds on the you know chunk of the rent roll that's lower. See what they're getting on the newer leases because that's the most real time information about that property. Now, if it's one and the rest of them are, you know, if there's a clear outlier, then that's one thing. But if they've reliably gotten, you know, in your example, you got thirty six fifty the last three or four times you got it, and you got it in a week of being on the rental market. That's what the market is for those. So. I would challenge people not to discount it to 3200 and people say, well, I don't want to pay for the upside in the deal. Well, it's going to be tough to buy it then. Um, you have to, I think, give some credit to the upside in the deal and you hope that you leave a little bit of meat on the bone for yourself as well. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think in the marketplace that we're in with how dynamic and increasing the rental market is, it's going to be tough to win deals if you don't give some credit to the high water mark, either within the property or within you know your portfolio or the submarket in general. Yeah, and by credit you mean the, just attributing extra money towards the price, knowing if I can raise the income and value ten percent year one, yeah. maybe I got to pay two or three percent more for the property to win it, but I'm still eight to seven percent ahead. That's right. You mean. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if it's a heavy lift. 
you can't expect as a seller to get full freight on the value add and it being worth today right. exactly what it is because there's risk in doing that. There's time, there's bandwidth. Um, but to share in the upside is generally how it goes, you know, yeah. for the value add deals, especially with how much appetite there is for value add deals in general. The buyer pool forum is willing to pay for some of the upside, not all of it. Yeah. And also too, your lender, most all lenders are looking at in place cash flow. Not all. You can get banks to go, okay, here's my you know, once here's my pro forma, once I get all the rents to thirty six fifty yeah. and they they can give you credit, so to speak, too. Um, that's essentially how we've done all of our Phoenix deals is like it's in part on the day one, but it's really on when we're done. What does it look like? And then the lender is going, I'm very comfortable with that. I know I'll get paid off or you guys could sell at a at a profit and pay us off. Um, so you'll be fine. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. I heard on a podcast that you're supposed to match your loan product and the prepayment with the business plan. Yeah. That's what I heard on Rising yeah, that is podcast before. And it's great advice. I'm, I'm, I'm busting your chops a little bit on it, but it's great advice because if your business plan is to add value, you know, get a lender that'll give you a loan to cost loan or give you some construction dollars or at least look at the pro forma model that you put together. If it's already buttoned up, then put a more like uh, put a lender on it that wants the more cookie cutter, you know, down the fairway product and we'll, we'll give you the best rate today. Right. But too often people I think are rigid in the financing part of it because of just comfort of using particular lenders. And then they just keep going. And if it doesn't work, it's like, well, that deal doesn't work. Talk to another lender, you know? Right. So, yeah, that's a great point. And yeah, you're, you're right. Not only match up the, yeah, the loan, but the lender, I guess then yeah. too. That's right. Yeah. Completely. Cause the, if these deals were stabilized, the lenders were using on these, we'll call them not stabilized properties where we need to renovate them or raise the rents. Like you would, you'd pick a different lender if it's stabilized. Yeah. And in today's marketplace with, you know, with where we are with rates and how kind of volatile it is, you know, there's been some of the bigger banks and the agencies have kind of just priced themselves out of the market. So if that's your only horse that you ride, then you're out of the market. Yeah. But if you're open to talking to other lenders, then you can still participate for good deals because you understand who else to go to and who's more aggressive today. So yeah. have you, have you seen the higher interest rates? So kind of, if anyone uh, just kind of update everyone, if you don't know, but just sort of between, let's call it mid March to, uh, you know, now here mid June, like we, yeah. Rates are up, you know, an entire percent to like, depending on the lender type, even a little over that. Yeah. So, you know, rates went from being in the threes to being in the high fours, let's say for a fixed rate and to some lenders into the fives already. Have you seen that impacting price or what? how, how are people responding to that? So far, there's the rental market is offset. So there's been enough strength and uh, optimism about the rental market where folks are still getting to the same values. If we see another similar run up, you know, if rates go up on par with kind of the the increases that the Fed has told us are coming <laughs> pretty explicitly, then at what point it becomes impactful and to what degree, I'm not sure. You know, I think part of it will depend on what's what else is going on in the economy and Chicago rental market in general. But inflationary environment like we're in, it's, um, you know, it's a great hedge against the yeah. apartment buildings. So um, it has not been, you know, kind of like I said earlier in the podcast, it's been more impactful on kind of the, the maybe the if I'm going like <laughs> the bookends, you know, the, yeah. the highest end or the lowest end of um, of the marketplace in Chicago, I think have felt it. But 
in the middle, it, it really hasn't translated to lower pricing at this time. Yeah. And because, I mean, the cap rates are still greater than the interest rate. So you're getting positive leverage into because a lot of these deals, sure, if you're going to buy a five, a low five cap and you see room in the rents, maybe you're going to get that to like a six cap. Yeah. You're borrowing. Usually seems like everybody here is doing fixed rate for these kind of things. Like yeah. the people in and we keep talking about our Phoenix deals, but we end up a lot of times doing floating rate just because there's no prepay. Yeah, so then three-ish year business plan. Or, right. Yeah. Or even, you know, and then if it happens quicker, you want to be able to refi or sell. And so like, that's what's driving that. But here in Chicago, the deals, they don't trade as often. Like there's, it feels, I mean, you know this, there's buildings you sell and it's like almost like that's like offline now to the market. It's never. Yeah. A lot of the clients that I sell to are like generational holders. So I sell a deal. Today, I've got, a, like I mentioned, you know, a knock on wood, a good one closing. Otherwise, that's not going to age well. And um, it's in a black hole. Owner yeah. 100% is not going to sell it for the rest of my career. <laughs> and so, and, and that's a good example. I mean, that owner is, that rate was locked at a, uh, in like the low threes, you know, 60, 90 days ago, something like that. But um, the rate for that, deal today is probably low fours um local bank debt and that that borrower and that buyer is not as sensitive right because they want to own the asset forever and like you alluded to there's a scarcity of the it's not a commodity there's real scarcity in that real estate uh so depending on the size of the asset depending on who the buyer pool is it really isn't even going to matter if we have a run-up now I don't make my living just selling that type of product because they don't trade very often. Yeah. I have a good market share in them, but like if I just waited for, you know, 50 to hundred unit deals in Lincoln park and Lakeview to sell, I'd have a lot less to sell. Yeah. So, uh, that's not all of it, but that particular part of the marketplace is very insulated from increasing rates because there is a captive audience whenever you have the right type of product for them. Yeah. And then they are, you know, they're putting down a lot of money and they're really strong borrowers so then this you know they're not uh and again they're doing fixed rate so they know what they're getting they're not their business plan is and i'm gonna buy that and sell it in two years those people are real worried where are things going to be in two years you know rates could keep going up and it'll be tough these folks are not really worried about that they're going you know i bought things for back when they were 50 grand now they're worth 10 million i'll just keep buying and it'll be this 10 million dollar building will be worth 50 million at some point and it'll be paid off. So I know I'm making money. That's yeah. When you look at things globally or generationally it takes a lot of the pressure on today's, right. you know, challenges. Yeah. Cause yeah. that's, I've, uh, that's how uh, a couple of my investors are and that's how they talk. Yeah. Like this thing's a cash cow. Why would we sell it? Or deals we bought for, you know, 5 million, they're worth eight. We paid the loan down to two and I'm like, Hey, let's sell it and buy something for 20. And they're good, like, good idea. Yeah, but they're like, no, nah, why bother? Let's just, you know, we got all this cash coming in. Let's just buy another deal with that and just sit on this other one. You know why? And so that's, again, like another um, building that's like not going to come around very often. Yeah. Uh, so nice. What are some reasons people are like selling today then? Uh, like I mentioned before, a lot of it's been to trade. Uh, looking at something where the business plan has either run its course or... Like I mentioned it's some type of outlier for them. In in the space that I work, the middle market space, two to you know, call forty ish million dollars. Um, a lot of it's just life decisions. Somebody retiring, somebody wanting to spend more time doing something else. Unfortunate, you know, deaths in the family and stuff like that. 
where you have a stepped up basis and maybe the next generation doesn't um, doesn't care to be in the business because it is pretty hands on. So I'd say today, like today's reason that's most common is the trade. And then all the other reasons why people just decide to sell based on personal circumstances. Um, but in Chicago, and the market's been strong for selling apartment buildings for a long time. So sellers uh, have had a good marketplace to sell into for a while. So we're not really getting people that like kind of had a, yeah, yeah. It, it's not like a whim. It's something that either something changed or they just, now's the time. Yeah. Are they in there? Are they talking about like, I feel like this is my window to sell. It's not, not really like trying to time the market. No. And it doesn't feel like there's much urgency from sellers, but the sellers that I expect to see more of, um, over the course of the next year or so. And then, you know, the crystal ball, who knows, but is, um, folks who would otherwise refinance, you know, somebody it's been a very attractive proposition to add value and then refinance a lot or all of your capital out and then keep the real estate and continue to cash flow it. As rates have gone up, the proposition of refinancing has gotten less attractive um, and maybe real estate taxes have gone up additionally and maybe it makes sense to sell more than to refinance. So I do expect to, you know, I lose probably more business to refinances historically than competitors. Um, so I, I do, I lose deals to competitors too. Yeah. That wasn't like a cocky yeah. statement, but more often than, hey, I hired somebody else, I hear, I'm going to keep it and refinance. Right. So I expect to see some more of that inventory. Also deals with assumptions are all of a sudden more attractive where, you know, that was like a bad word right? <laughs> because everybody like, well, most people like to use their own lender and, you know, see their own loan docs and start from scratch. Now, you know, assumption deals look pretty attractive. You made some money doing assumption yeah. deals over the course <laughs> of the last few years. Um, but part of that is because, uh, you know, people were too lazy or too, you know, didn't want to do them. They wrote them off before they dug into it. So you were able to buy deals at depressed values because there was less of a buyer pool and you know maybe you had to assume a slightly above market rate well now you know we're selling deals where rates are quite a bit lower than prevailing rates in the marketplace so yeah i can see that another big negative on the assumptions is you're you're starting somewhere in their loan amortization schedule like mm -hmm. further along so you're let's say you put a fresh loan on this the comeback would be you make the same amount at the end of the day uh because you're just paying your loan down more but if if you need that for no, for later but um <laughs> if you but yeah for you uh how you know if you put a new loan on oftentimes you can get one two three years of interest only payments and then you start a new 30-year amortization schedule so just all that means you just have lower payments than if you come in in year five of someone else's amortization yeah. schedule now more of your loan is going towards principal uh, than it would at the start. So you, you end up with a bigger payment, like all things being equal. So like that's a that's. But a it's negative. funny because it's math, right? You just adjust it on the model. Yeah. <laughs> and no, you, that, and, and if that, it changes the end of the output, then it just changes the end, you know, the price at the end of the model. But it's funny that people just write it off as right. opposed to doing the math. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Or they you'd have to be just like a cash flow only buyer to write it off and be like, oh, the cash flow. It's lower. Yeah. But well, you're going to get that when you sell. So yeah, but you'd be surprised at how price. much of the marketplace before today, you know, how much of the marketplace has seen an assumption deal and it's a non-starter. Yeah. I mean, it cuts the buyer pool in like in half. It seems like that or yeah. even maybe yeah. even more. Um, yeah, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I've noticed that too where um, and I think what one thing that it might be the new competitor when you sell is like, oh, I really want to get my price. 
Otherwise, hey, I got this loan for three and a half percent interest. I might as well just sit on it. If I sell it and trade, I got to go get a five percent interest loan. I'm going to, you know, yeah, be paying more. Like yeah. That's probably what's uh, going to be the new competitor for the refi almost is the, hey, my rate's low. I really need to get my number. Particularly on the trade deals that I mentioned have been so much in the market. Yeah. 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 Because then if you're going, OK, I'm going to be buying a property i'm taking out a bigger loan at a worse interest rate like that's in their back of their mind yeah but most people that buy a middle market size apartment building in chicago go into it with a business plan to do something and even if something is hold it forever so generally there's some compelling reason otherwise to do the transaction that would offset that spread between the rate you have in place and today's rate but it's not all the time yeah makes sense well great well let's just let's leave it there joe i mean thanks for Thanks for being on. Appreciate it. Good to be here, man. So, Thanks so, again. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you? They want to reach out. Easy to find. Look up Joe Smazel at interrorealty.com. Um, I'm really accessible via phone or email. Love to hear from anybody listening to the show. Heard from some people that listened to our podcast last time around. So it was cool to like uh, people said, hey, I listened to a podcast or something that, that I liked or I'm interested in getting in real estate. You have a minute to to talk um so it was cool to, it was cool to hear from people afterwards yeah i had on our episode i had um a couple times i had i had been sent something where it was other people saying something you know positive about it where um you know like another i forgot where they work but it was a, some it was a broker that uh, knew one of the guys who works here and they sent it as like this is going around our like office <laughs> yeah it's like check out this podcast this is good well I hope we get a similar response. So, yeah, I'd love to hear from people listening to the show. And there are not that many smozzles out there, so it's yeah. not that hard to find. <laughs> yeah, easy yeah. easy to find. Yeah. So, or, uh, you know, you can look at look at my LinkedIn or something, and you'll see me liking the post. For Joe, sure, so man. You can find it that way, too. Good looking out. So, yeah, well, great. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, thanks again. Thanks, man. Great. Well, until next time, everyone, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Rise and Invest podcast. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. If you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing, check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. And the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.